It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hello, everyone out there in podcast world. My name is Matt Hausman, your host for the Smart Money Questions podcast. It's hard to believe as I am recording this, this will be the last uh, show recording for the year that will go down as craziness, 2020. And as we're coming to the end of this year, one of the things I want to go back over, and I've been having conversations with clients over the course of the last couple weeks, and that is finalizing some year-end planning opportunities that we want to make sure if we're going to do it in 2020, that we take advantage of that. So I'm going to go over those today. And then I'm going to go over a conversation I had last week with some clients that are in the process of becoming first-time homeowners. You know, I've been talking a little bit more about real estate over the course of the last, I don't know, seven or eight months, because there's been so much happening in the real estate industry, mainly because you know, supply has been down, but yet interest rates are extremely low. Um, I heard one gentleman that's a mortgage expert the other day, I think it was on Fox Business, talking about he could still see rates as they are now through the end of 2022. So I'm going to go over the conversation I had with them, some of the recommendations that I had, some of the questions that they had, and answers to those. So, But before we jump into that, let's make sure we deal with the disclaimer... Please don't take any of the information or ideas or suggestions that I offer in today's show as direct advice for you. Please use it as information and education that you then can discuss with your advisor. Now, if you don't have an advisor or you would like for us to be your advisor, I'm more than happy to have that conversation with you. And it's real simple. All you have to do is go to www.speakwithmat.com. That's www.speakwithmat.com. And my online scheduler is right there. You can go right in. You can schedule a 15 or 30-minute phone conversation. And quite frankly, at the end of that first call, we're going to have a good idea. Does it make sense to have a second conversation? So again, very low-key. Go right into the online scheduler. You don't even have to get on the phone with anyone to schedule this. So again, speakwithmat.com, www.speakwithmat.com and schedule it there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get on to today's show. All right, so let's consider some of the year-end things you might want to be thinking about if you haven't already started looking at them. The first thing I would tell you to do, if you are still working and you have a 401k, 403b, is looking to see about maximizing those contributions into whether it's the traditional 401k or 403b. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow you to reduce your, your taxable income based on those contributions at the federal level. But then also your Roth options. If you have a 401k Roth or a 403b Roth option within those qualified plans, looking to take advantage of maximizing whatever your budget will allow for putting money into that. You know, I speak a lot about the Roth option, whether it's a traditional Roth IRA or the Roth 401k, Roth 403b being very attractive you pay the tax today, but looking at long term, that money grows tax deferred and comes out 
tax-free. So looking at those options. Now, the other thing that you will have if you qualify for it based on income, you'll have the option of still contributing to a traditional IRA or a traditional Roth IRA. You'll have all the way, at least right now, we're going to assume that our our taxes are going to be due and filed by April 15th. So you'll have that option. If you're self-employed, you'll have the opportunity to contribute uh, to the SEP plan as well and still have that count for the year 2020. So doing that planning now, especially with your qualified retirement plans, if you're still working and contributing, that's going to need to be done before the end of the year. So make sure you're looking at that. And then still going in and calculating those options that you'll have in the first quarter of next year that could still help with your 2020 tax obligation or the contributions that you're going to put in, for instance, into the Roth IRA by April 15th. Now, the other thing because of COVID that they did back at the uh, in, in March or April is they put the CARES Act in for this year. And there were some specific rules around that. I'll make sure to put in the show notes. I did a a show just on this. But one of the things to be considering, obviously, if you're already at that age of being required to take distributions out of your qualified retirement accounts, you don't have to do that this year. But if you're under the age of 60, and I had a conversation with uh, a person last week, specifically, they're looking to retire, or they have the option to retire. And they are under the age of 60. So one of the things I was going over with them is, hey, why don't we start doing some tax planning opportunities right now? Because you can go ahead and take money out under the CARES Act out of your qualified retirement account before the age of 60 and not have to pay the 10% penalty. And so in this case, they're about three years away from uh, 60. So maybe we look at taking some of the money that we're going to need over the next three years out now so we don't have to pay that 10% penalty. So if you're in that situation, this is where you really want to be talking with your accountant or your advisor on doing what those calculations are to see if it makes sense. The other thing we want to be thinking about is moving forward. In this case, the person was single, so they're filing single. We want to be aware, where do we think tax rates are going to go in the future? And does it make sense to take it out in the year if our income is going to be higher this year than it would be in future years? So definitely something to think about there. Now, the other thing to realize is for the CARES Act, and if you are at the age of being required to take distributions out of your IRAs, is that even though you don't have to take it out this year if you don't want to, and many of our clients have opted out that they didn't want to do that, is that you can still do an RMD charitable contribution. Now, keep in mind, this is where the money goes directly out of your IRA to the charity of your choice. There's whoever the custodian is that you're dealing with, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, uh, Schwab, what have you. They're going to have specific rules on how to do this. So you want to make sure you're adhering to that. But essentially what happens is, let me just use the number, let's say it's 10 grand is the $10,000 goes directly from your IRA, let's say to your church. And that $10,000 obligation does not end up in any of your calculations for your adjusted gross income, for your modified adjusted gross income, which goes directly into how much of your social security is taxable, how much you're going to be paying for Medicare Part B. It goes directly there. So you can still do that this year 
in the event you want to. So be, be looking at that as well. If you have charities that you support, this would be a great way that really, you know, you got tax relief for that money when you put it in, it grew tax deferred, and now it's going directly to a charity, which isn't going to pay taxes, and it doesn't count into you. One thing to understand, I've had conversations with this or maybe a little misunderstanding with clients before. This is not where you're going to take a deduction for a charity on your Schedule A or itemizing your deductions. This is completely separate and much better off for you because it never goes into that calculation of adjusted gross income or modified adjusted gross income. It just goes directly there. It's reportable, but it doesn't go into that taxable column. So if, you, if you're looking at that, you want to make sure you're discussing that with your advisor and the custodian, finding out what their dates are. Many, because they're still work, they have remote workers, is they have moved up their, the dates that they have to process. Uh, for instance, Schwab, the 23rd, everything has to be in by the 23rd so that um, it can be counted in the year 2020. So looking at that and taking advantage of that could be very uh, beneficial. The other thing is let's talk about, I was on the phone last week with some clients and now we're talking about the deductions that are, they're going to appear or that are going to appear on their Schedule A. And what we were talking about last week specifically was, is there the opportunity for us to really bolster that Schedule A to take advantage of itemizing all of our deductions? Now, let's talk about why, why wouldn't we be able to take advantage of that? Well, under the tax code that began in 2018, we all know that the, the minimum or the uh, standard deduction dramatically jumped up, really increased it. And so now your Schedule A has to be above, your itemized deductions have to be above that standard to take advantage of that. So when I was going over this with uh, some clients, one of the things that they, their question was, is, hey, listen, I'm going to have to have some additional dental work done in 2021, but I have the option of getting it done this year so it can be countable for this year. So when we went through the tax calculations, well, they already had tremendous amount of medical expenses. They were also contributing to a charity. They had real estate taxes on there. Uh, they had long-term care, qualifying insurance that's deductible or the premiums that are deductible. And so what we, you know, one of the questions I asked was, well, do we think we're going to have a lot of medical expenses next year? And the answer was no. You know, we plan on being pretty healthy. And really, most of the expenses this year were dental, so they're not expecting to have those again next year. So I say, well, it makes total sense to go ahead and make sure to have that, that procedure done in 2020 so we can maximize more that Schedule A. Because by doing that, they were going to be way over the standard deduction for 2020. And if they waited until 2021, they weren't going to be able to itemize it because their itemization wasn't going to be over what the standard deduction currently is. So be looking at what, you know, what are the deductions that we have? What can I take advantage of? Or what do I need to make sure that I take advantage of this year in 2020 in the event that I'm going to be able to maximize that Schedule A? Now, that also being said, one of the things we want to look at, I, speaking with another client, is when we looked at their overall tax situation and the monies that they had received already, and some of those monies were W-2'd, then the business that they were at shut down. Now they have unemployment, plus they had Social Security, plus they had some IRA withdrawals. 
we're looking at is, you know, should we look to take advantage of wherever we are right now and pull money out of the IRA potentially at a lower tax cost? Well, when I went through the calculation, what I was able to point out to them is because unemployment is taxable at the federal level, and we're not anticipating having that next year, it doesn't make any sense to take the IRA withdrawals out or even do Roth conversions this year because now we essentially, we could take everything that we got this year from our unemployment, we can take all of that out of the IRA next year. And basically in their case, it was going to be about a 14% effective tax rate versus if we did it today, they're already in the 22% tax bracket. That means all of that's going to be coming out essentially at 22%. So it's real important to me making sure that we're doing those calculations for any other withdrawals or conversions that we're potentially looking at by the end of the year. Remember, conversions have to happen. If you're going to do a conversion in 2020, those conversions have to happen now. You don't get an extension to be able to do a conversion, let's say in April, for the tax year 2020. So remember, conversions are different than contributions. I can contribute to my Roth or my IRA up to April 15th of 2021 and still have it count for 2020, but I cannot do that for an IRA to Roth IRA conversion. So again, just a couple things that you should be looking at with regards to year-end planning. The last thing is to look at, you know, what potential tax credits do I have available to me? Now, we know a lot of times there can be tax credits if we're buying like, you know, you're buying a Tesla or you're buying some type of electronic vehicle or you're putting solar panels on your home, you know, those type of things. But there's also a lot of other tax credits that you might be, this is where you're really going to want to talk to your tax advisor that you might be able to take advantage of this year. And, you know, anything from the earned income credit, uh, child care, dependent care credit, uh, what's uh, tax credits for investing in education or for retirement? Looking at, are those available? Be talking with your accountant about this because the big difference between a tax credit and a tax deduction, first of all, we were just talking, there could be that I am, I'm contributing things that are tax deductible, but I'm really not getting to take advantage of them. Why? Because the standard deduction is so high. But if I get a tax credit, let's say I get a $1,000 tax credit, my tax bill is five grand. That's a dollar for dollar tax credit right off the tax bill. So now I only owe four grand. In many cases, in most cases, the tax credit is going to be much more beneficial for you than just taking a deduction. So be talking with your tax advisors about that. You know, what tax deductions or uh, tax credits, I'm sorry, tax credits, am I available or do I have available this year? Um, you know, one of the things that Maggie and I were looking at is, does it make sense right now for us to, let's say, put solar into our house, you know, get the panels, get the battery packs in the garage, that type of stuff. But one of the things we came to the conclusion on is even with the tax credits that are available right now is, you know, I think we can pretty much agree by now that, you know, Biden is going to be the next president is it could be that those tax credits under his administration get much more robust than they are now. So in our case, we're going to end up holding off to see what that's going to look like here in the near future. So again, be talking with your tax advisor about the potential tax credits that you have uh, that you have available to you for the year 2020. 
Okay, so, and by the way, if you guys have any questions on that, you know, feel free to reach out to us, uh, 610-719-3003, or you can always just go with speakwithmatt.com. That's www.speakwithmatt.com, and my online calendar is there. And when, by the way, when you're looking at the calendar, I had some clients do this last week, if it looks like there's some unavailability there, is that many times because of the way the calendar works is there's only certain time periods that the calendar is pulling in. And if those times are gone, then the calendar isn't going to reflect that. Feel free to reach out to us. You know, just give us a call because many times we can go ahead and put you in different slots that wouldn't have even been on the online calendar. So again, 610-719-3003. Okay, let's talk about first-time home buyers. So I was talking with some clients, younger couple, and they were, uh, they're looking to, you know, start the process of home ownership. And so they're in the process of who are we going to go talk to about a mortgage? So going over the things you need to be talking to the mortgage lender. In this case, they had a couple names from other people that they've known that they've went and used. You know, how do we know if we're dealing with a good mortgage lender? Well, one of the things I talked to him about that is you want to be talking to a mortgage lender that has mortgage programs beyond just what their company is offering. So for instance, uh, Wells Fargo, if I go speak to a Wells Fargo lender, is the Wells Fargo lender only going to be putting me into a Wells Fargo mortgage or do they have other options? You know, back in the day, that used to be called a mortgage broker. I don't think they're called that anymore. But you really want to be having someone that has many different options available to them based on what you're anticipating your needs to be. And that's where, you know, go through that interview process. You can even ask them to give you an estimate on what you think or what they think the rates are going to be uh, or what they're going to quote you, what the costs are going to be going into that. And then it's going to be a comfort feeling that you're going to want to feel. But what I was telling him is we really want to make sure that they have more options than just the company that's on their letterhead or their their business card. And so making sure that that is, I just think that is extremely important. The next is talking about finding a good realtor. One of the things Maggie and I were fortunate when we left New York and, and came down here to PA is uh, we just happened to walk in one day. We were out driving around looking at homes and came across a Remax dealership. Just walked in on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know. I think it was like four o'clock and asked if someone was there. And there was. And, you know, initially she didn't want to come out and talk to us. She, quote, wasn't dressed right. She was just jeans and a sweatshirt. And she came out and we just hit it off right away. And we were very fortunate in that because not only did we have an emotional connection with her, but uh, she really ended up knowing her stuff. And so, Having a realtor that really understands the business that is going to specialize in what you're looking for. So in her case, her specialty was in the area where we live now. She really knew that area. She also knew like code and she understood, you know, what the potential issues are when you're looking at buying an older home in our area, which is what we were looking to do. We were looking to buy an older home, not like a new construction home. So she was very helpful with that. That's really important when you're looking for a realtor, it's more than just going out, you know, showing you a bunch of homes. It's really understanding the next step when you're ready is going to be finding out and signing a purchase contract and the different things that should be in the purchase contract based on the type of property you're buying, the contingencies within there. You know, you're going to pro in this case, I was like, you're going to have a mortgage contingency. What does that mean? That means that that contract and that escrowed money that you're putting in there is subject to you getting approved for the mortgage 
based on the purchase price and the mortgage amount you're listing in the contract. If you if that doesn't happen, then you have the ability to walk and you're going to get your escrowed money back. So, you know, then there's inspections, there's the value of the property, etc. Having a realtor that really understands that is important and making sure that's in the contract. And one of the reasons I told them it's so important right now to make sure you are looking and addressing that is because as I mentioned earlier in the show, supply is down. I think I mentioned a couple, like I think now we're up to like eight or nine clients over the course of the last six, seven months have sold homes and bought homes. And in many cases, there's no contingencies on these contracts. Someone's buying their home with no contingency and they're giving them, you know, 5% in escrow and they're closing in 21 days. And it doesn't matter if the inspection, you know, said that there's mold behind the walls. It doesn't matter. That person has to buy. And then going into the purchase of the next property, you know, I sold one, I'm going to buy another one. If they didn't have certain contingencies on there, then they could be stuck going into the next property. But, you know, many realtors now are letting, you know, they're, it's, I don't want to say it's a sales pitch, but they're like, well, I don't know if you're going to get the property if you list anything that the seller could deem would hold the deal back. You know, but I was explaining to them, I, I know supply is low right now. But I think we can, you know, I think we're, we can realize or we can start to see that within the next, you know, 60, 90, 180 days that that supply is going to get up, you know, hopefully with the vaccines and everything, the economy or the, the market starts to open up a little bit more, but don't fall into that no contingency. And the other thing I told them was as good as, and this is what our realtor did for us, as good as the realtor is, in our case, with the first contract we went under is... To say the least, let's just say that the buyer held a couple things back. And we ended up being very fortunate in finding those things, and we wanted out. We felt like that he had breached the contract and uh, the seller's disclosures. And so at the recommendation of our realtor, we hired a real estate attorney to help us with that. And one of the things I mentioned to them is, you know, it might be worth a legal set of eyes to review your contract outside of just your realtor that is going to be, um, you know, composing it, you know, spending that 500 or a thousand dollars could really end up saving you some aggravation later. I, I, I remember I had some clients, I, I guess it was like seven years ago that had bought some property out West. They went under, or they, I'm sorry, they went under contract out West in California. And the realtor was essentially talking what I'm, you know, what I'm saying right now, no contingencies, blah, blah, blah. And they did they decided not to put an inspection in. They did the inspection after they had given them a serious five-figure escrow account. And then the inspection revealed that the place was, you know, a shack. And we got involved. Uh, they ended up, uh, one of the real estate attorneys that uh, I had had conversations with out there, they, they ended up employing them and they did get it back, but I still think it took two months to get that escrow money back. So I was just letting them know, hey, listen, it might be worth having an attorney just review that contract before you sign it and, and put it in there. So real important on that part. Now, let's talk about one of the things I talked to them about also was, or their, I'm sorry, their question to me was, is 20% down the only way you can buy a home? 20% plus 
closing costs. And so I referred back to the interview that I did with Lindsay Johnson. Uh, I believe that was back in July or August. And she was the president of the U.S. Mortgage Insurers Association. So in the event that you're going to put less than that down, you're going to have something come into the mix called PMI, um, private mortgage insurance, that is protecting the bank that's going to be giving you the mortgage because the equity position is less than 20%. Now, as Lindsay really explained to me and educated me is, you know, this is one way that many people can get into home ownership without that huge down payment of 20% plus closing costs. And so I referred them back and I would, I would tell everyone, if you have questions about that, refer back to that interview with her. And there's also on the show notes page, there is a couple of websites that she recommended going to with a lot of education that can help with that. Because the PMI world now is much different than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I I talked to them about just understanding if you're not going to put the 20% down plus closing costs, then your payment might be a little bit higher because of the PMI. And so then I started talking about budgeting budgeting the whole payment, the principal interest taxes and insurance, PITI, the whole thing. And now you're going to have an extra amount in there with the PMI and really looking at that. And then their next question was, well, what type of mortgage should we be looking at? Should we be looking at a, an adjustable rate mortgage, a fixed, a 15, a 30-year and my recommendation to them as they're going you know, in, as a first-time homebuyer and being much younger I said, well, how long are you going to be in the home? I mean, are we going to be there longer than five, seven, eight years? And they said, well, yeah, we're definitely planning on being there longer than that. And so then I said, well, then if that's the case, I don't know that I would look at an arm, an adjustable rate. Let's say it's 3-1 or a 5-1. What does that mean? That means that uh, the rate is fixed, let's say, for three or five years, and then it will adjust based on some type of an index, usually like the LIBOR or Prime or something, and it's going to adjust annually. And so then if interest rates creep up, then the rate creeps up along with the payment creeps up. And of course, the opposite happens. If rates go down, then the rate's going to go down. The mortgage payment goes down. But I said, you know, my recommendation would be a 30-year, stretch it out as long as you can, and a fixed rate. And the reason why is because we're going to lower that rate to fit into our budget. And then we can always add extra principal payments if we want to, to pay that mortgage down faster, get rid of that PMI faster if we don't put the 20% down. But in months, like for instance, over the course of the last six, seven, eight months, if people have been affected because of a loss of uh, a job or they had reduced pay at the, the job they did have, cash gets a little tight. Now, if we have extended that 30 year, we have a more manageable payment potentially during those lean months. And so that's kind of how we did it. So they're going to go through the process now of, you know, reaching out to a lender, uh, multiple lenders, reaching out to a realtor, finding someone that are both parties that they can, that they like, that they can trust, that they have options with. And then they're going to, they're going to start that, that search process. And luckily they're, they're not in the position of having to rush. It's not like their lease is up January 31st. So they have time to really get into this and, and be proactive as they are right now in that search process. So listen, everyone, that's all I've got for today. Again, as I always say, I hope this has been helpful and valuable. And if you have a question scenario 
that you would like for us to address on the show, feel free to do that. You can go right to smartmoneyquestions.com, ask Matt a question. There's a place right there. You can actually just leave a voicemail or shoot us a message. Or if you would rather speak more personal with me, then feel free to go to speakwithmatt.com. Again, www.speakwithmatt.com. My online calendar is there. You can schedule a 15 or 30 minute conference call. It's that easy. Again, speakwithmatt.com or just pick up the phone and call us at 610-719-3003. Well, that's all I've got, everyone. Again, the end of 2020. We are looking forward to 2021. Everybody, happy holidays and take care.